Hey, everybody. Um, we just moved our recording studio and we've had some volume issues. Um, the first half of this episode is kind of quiet. The second half is normal again. <laughs> so be prepared. You can, you can hear what we're saying. It's not like a red wall episode situation. Oh my God. Lost yeah. Fire, if you've sorry. heard our, if you've heard our red wall episode, yeah. you, you know the difficulties that we've had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, so just a heads up after the summary, the volume will get louder. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. going to be like ear splitting. But. Well, and we have a much roomier setup here now. Like it's actually a lot better. So going forward, the sound quality will be great. Yeah. Knock on wood. Oh. <laughs> Now the episode. (laughs) Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Trickster's Choice by Tamara Pierce. Scrawl, Jumping back into Tortal. So excited. It's been a long time, baby. Yeah. This, we're happy to be back. This episode was a listener request from many different listeners. Um, thank you so much for bringing us back into Tammy's warm embrace. This book was published in 2003. Hmm. It is the first book of a duet. What do you call a two-book series? Quadrangle. As you know, this is not our strong suit. (laughs) A a duangle. Focused on uh, Aliana of Pirate Swoop, who is uh, Alana and George Cooper's child. Indeed. We know those names, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, you better too. (laughs) We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover, so if you haven't read this one before or haven't revisited it in a while, now's the time to scamper on off to your local library and check it out. Our independent bookstore. Scamper, like a, like a rodent. You have to scamper. <laughs> There's no choice. Yep. We will start with a little discussion of how the publisher chose to package and promote our childhood edition mm-hmm. of the book. It had one of those styles that was more popular in the early aughts, mm-hmm. wherein there were actual pictures of mostly young women who would be on the covers of YA fantasy. Yeah. Looking um, soulfully out. Yes. <laughs> uh, and in this one, we have, there's a little stylistic trick with Trickster's Choice and then Trickster's Queen, the sequel, where... Ollie is on one side of the cover on the first book and then on the side next to that on the second book so that she's kind of joined. So it's the two Ollie's. That's cool. Um, And this Ollie has a beautiful velvet cloak hood on. I don't know if it's a whole cloak. I can't see. It looks like the one that Arwen wears in... Yes, it looks very elfin. While they read Bilbo's poem, I think, in Fellowship. Bilbo's poem. Bilbo's poem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And her green eye is piercing out at us. And there's a circlet around her neck. I don't know what that's supposed to communicate. It's definitely not the iron slave collar that she wears throughout most of the book. I think oh. she's in ro- like nobility mode. Um, 
here, but it's kind of hard to say. And I don't really understand why she's depicted this way. That is Other than to make it look like a book about a fancy young lady. Yeah, yeah, because the there's no way the collars are that skinny, right? They're, no. They're much heftier. Oh, yeah, no. Like that, it left a scar looks, on her That neck. looks like beautiful. Yeah, it looks like jewelry. <laughs> looks cosmetic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I uh, don't understand the choice to depict her as such, um, but I'm sure it makes the book more appealing than showing her looking skinny and bruised with a broken nose and a scar on her eyebrow and a big iron collar on. So I guess I answered my own question. Um, but it does have a nice uh, level of intrigue. Uh, really all I need, though, is Tamara Pierce's name across the top. Um, as someone who works in design, I do take issue with the way that cover displays the title of the book it's hard to read it's in a little curve in the corner Um, typographically it's not something I would choose right if you can't read it I guess I'm feeling nitpicky today well if you can't read it without picking it up and moving it like I actually remember that too and I never even read it but I did see it on your shelf all the time and I remember like tilting the book because you, you can't just read it straight out Today's Trickster's Choice covers are super different. Um, We've seen a pretty significant change in the way YA fantasy covers are illustrated. Um, The most common current cover that I'm seeing um, has like a purple smoke monster hand gripping a dagger with an iron circlet around it like Um, smoke monster is in from lost yes (laughs) that's the vibe i'm getting it's very intense uh very colorful very game of thrones okay yeah Yeah. a song of ice and fiery i should say of course people want to you know you want to ape marketing that did very good. (laughs) That's right. That's what I tell people all the time. (laughs) So Madeline, would you like to do us the honor Mm. of giving us a breakdown of the plot summary? I would indeed. And we're not going to go into everything it's a long book and it's super plot driven yes yeah exactly the the plot moves very quickly um okay so there's what four kings over the course of one season (laughs) covered in this book true yeah okay so ollie is uh, the daughter of uh, alana and george cooper um if you haven't listened to any of our Tamara Pierce <laughs> episodes, <laughs> first of all, wow, um, I'm impressed. You, this is your first one. Yeah, yeah. I would like really strongly suggest that you go back and start um, earlier because we did do them kind of roughly chronologically. Ollie is 16 and uh, she is kind of at a point in her life. She's at a crossroads where her mom and dad, um, who are very important people to the realm, like they're personal friends of the king and queens. Um, Alana is a very powerful fighter and sorcerer, and George Cooper is a former king of the thieves, and currently (laughs) he's like a spy master for Mm -hmm. the realm. So they're pretty busy. There's a war. There's a war going on. With Scanra. With Scanra, as usual. Um, And uh, so Alana's away a lot, and Ollie's kind of kicking around back at Pirate Swoop, and uh, her dad and then her, her mom comes home from the war for a little bit. And they're like, what do you come on, do something with your life already. 
you're you're 16 years old. <laughs> uh, Get a job, but not the job you want to have. We won't let you, even though we've trained you for it your entire life. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with the parenting on display. In yeah, the, book. The, the parenting is um, hard to watch. Uh, because there's like only one thing that she wants to do that she's good at, Mm -hmm. that she's wanted to do for a really long time, which is to be a spy, which is what her father does. So, and what he has instilled in her from childhood. He's taught her spy techniques his whole life. Um, so obviously like, obviously that's what she's going to want to do. It makes total sense, but both parents are, um, she's their only daughter. So uh, they're letting those like conservative um, tropes mm-hmm. that they have fought against, like right. with Jonathan as right. a reformer, King Jonathan, yeah. like seep into their own mentalities, yeah. um, which I thought was interesting. And we'll talk more about the nuance behind it too. Like I do, yeah. I do relate to what they're saying. Oh no, for sure. They want to protect her. And as soon as she leaves bad stuff happens that Madeline's about to say. That's true. <laughs> um, so uh, d- her mom, uh, like I said, came home. Ollie has already talked to her dad about, like, can I be a spy? And he's like, no, absolutely not. And then she goes to her mom, and her mom says, no, absolutely not. And uh, so uh, Ollie is like, okay, I'm just going to get out of Dodge for a little bit. She goes sailing. She's intending to go to a like a port or city or whatever, not very far away. Where she's going to stay with relatives. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. She just wants a little, like, freebie sailing trip. And it's really incredible in the book because it literally goes from, like, Ollie sets out onto her <laughs> journey, like, you know, like, da-da-da, and then the next sentence is, like, her ship was captured and she was sold into slavery. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's <laughs> incredible how quickly things kick off. Yeah, I, I, it is just such a shattering of all her ideas of this little pleasure cruise. Yeah, and even though it's a terrible thing that happened, I think I literally cracked up when I was walking mm-hmm. alone in the woods at That's that funny. part because I was just like, oh my God. It's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Tamara Pierce does really fun, humorous things with the pacing of this book. And I think because the Mm -hmm. entire theme is one of being guided by the trickster, by the trickster god. Keeping you off balance. Um, We're also being played some tricks on, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, So she she gets a little into slavery. Um, While she's on the, the slave ship... She, uh, she immediately, although getting captured was extremely not pragmatic, she immediately goes into super pragmatism mm-hmm. after she's captured because Ollie, it, it, she's very aware of the fact that she's a young, pretty uh, woman and that she might be uh, sold into like sexual slavery and she wants to avoid that above all else yeah she she's just trying to get ugly she's trying to get as undesirable physically as she can and her yeah, nose she, gets broken her whole face gets mushed up so she she's starves herself yeah so she's she loses really weight bony. yeah she's like not eating um and it works it works and she by an, an extremely lucky stroke of luck <laughs> she gets bought by a little too lucky (laughs) as we learn right yeah she gets bought by the bali tongue household and they seem to be the (laughs) 
She's actually given away for free. Oh, yeah, because no one yeah, wanted to no buy her. On yeah, her. and she was like, oh, I did too good of a job. Like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen now? Um, so, yeah, she's given away, like, as part of a package yeah, deal. Yeah, she's, like, an, a special offer <laughs> yeah. included with another slave. So she goes to the the nicest slave owners around <laughs> the <laughs> Polytong household. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, and her her family is already freaking out about her. Um, I, I don't know exactly when she has the dream uh, that like shows her her family at home. Uh, her mom doesn't find out that she's gone for a while. Yeah, because she tries it from her. Right, but she sees people like discovering that she's missing and like not understanding where the heck she went because they should be able to trace her. They're working with like the people who are best in the world mm-hmm. at finding. Um, so they're worried about her. This is when she meets the god Kiprioth. It's because uh, the uh, Balitung household gets kicked out of the capital because mm-hmm. they're out of favor with the king of the isles, whose name is Oron Ridavon. And he's got some problems. Yeah, he's got some, like, Stalin-type issues, which is not great for your leader. And when I say Stalin-type issues, I mean he's very paranoid and he punishes his yeah, let's perceived <laughs> enemies. <clarify>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he punishes his perceived enemies mm-hmm. swiftly and without um, being rational. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's just paranoid and yep. he's, like, desperately trying to keep his power and he's doing a lot of stuff to do that that is very violent. Um, so when he tells the Balitangs that they have to leave the capital, they jump right on it because they're like, we have to leave or he's going to kill all of us. Um, and they also have to sell off a lot of their stuff um, and their slaves when they, they go into exile because they have to make a gift to the king as well. They uh, take the slaves who are not going to go with them to a matcher, um, and that that matcher is supposed to like examine their skills and then like match them to a slave opportunity where they'll be able to excel <laughs> um, and see if they have some kind of gift, right? Of magical yeah, gift of that magic. hasn't been found out. Yeah. Um, and when he comes to Ollie, she's already worried because she has the sight, um, which is like a very particular kind of magic that comes from like what her genetics are because mm-hmm. her parents both have like really particular kinds of special skills. And it'll be pretty clear that she is a person of import. Right. So she's worried because mm-hmm. she doesn't want anyone to know that she's even a noble, let alone like a uh, the daughter to incredibly important people because that's that's bad for everyone um, if they find that out. So she hides it um, the entire book. Uh, so when the matcher gets to Ollie, suddenly he there's the god Kiprioth is inside of him and <laughs> yeah. he kind of like wiggles around and it's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really great scene because she's like, there seems to be like another shape Inside, inside the man, the like possessing yeah. him, yeah. Um, and he's he says, ah, I'm the trickster god, and here's my wager. Um, she has to keep the Balitang's family, the the children of the family alive through the summer, and he will convince her father to let her work as a spy. He's <laughs> like, okay, uh, everyone gets what they want. Uh, if she loses, then she has to serve him for a whole year, which is 
really not a bad outcome for like betting um, with a god. I thought it was going to be worse. Yeah, it depends what he means requires of her yeah. during that year. That's true. Um, and he Kiprioth disguises himself as Mithros when he talks to the Balitangs about this um, because. Kiprioth is not their god. They are not the, they're not Raka, they're Llewellyn. Luaren. And we haven't talked about this at all. We haven't, but yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll get more into that hopefully. <laughs> well, we will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mithros is like the king god. He's Zeus. And so uh, it, they're going to be more into it if they think it's Mithros telling them, like, yeah. I'm a god and this is what I'm telling you to do and trust this, like, foreign person who yeah. is your slave. Mm-hmm. She is my envoy. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she does not get matched. She goes with the Balitangs. Um to Lomben Island, which is where their, like, country estate is. Um, she gets to know the two younger children, Patron and Elsrin, and then she also gets to know the uh, older daughters who are more plot-significant, um, Sarayu and Dove, Dovasuri. And they are the daughters of Duke Mequin and his first wife. Who, Sarugani. Sarugani, who was Raka. Yeah. As opposed to Luaran. The Raka people were the indigenous people of the Copper Isles. Um, the Luaran came in and colonized, enslaved, obliterated them in a variety of ways. And they are now the, like, living under them as an oppressed culture and people. Yeah, it's a colonialism analog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Rock are, peop- are people of color. The Lauren are white. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically, it, it's not... Um, I was confused at the beginning because I thought that Luaran was, like, a specific nationality or race of white people. Mm. But I then I came to understand that it just meant, like white people it's just the rakas the raka language is term for white people right yeah. right exactly mm-hmm. but the raka are a distinct unique mm-hmm. ethnic group yes. unlike the luaran yeah so the older children are of note because they're half raka yeah their duke mequin's first wife was raka mm-hmm. um and uh, now he's married to winamine who is also luaran um but she she was good friends with his first wife, and she's 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 pretty chill. There's a lot of funny. I mean, I know this is the case in like all noble lines, both fantasy and real life. But a lot of funny, like we were best friends, and then she died. So then I married her best friend, and like the fact that the prince who's courting her stepdaughter later, when I mean she courted him when yeah. they were young, and everyone's just like, okay, whatever. It's I mean, it's very. Uh, this is a fantasy universe, but mm-hmm. if you go back a number of uh, hundreds of years, then yeah. like that's very normal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, so Ollie's with them. She's making friends with the kids, especially um, Sarayu and Dove. Dove is younger um, and is very quick witted and quiet mm-hmm. and just clearly always has a lot of wheels in motion in her head. Um, and Sarayu is also uh, like very um, 
I don't know. She's she's smart. Like she's they're both still young. Mm-hmm. Um, so they that shows as well. But they're they're both very crafty and like well equipped, especially by yeah. the end of the book. To and deal. have have a variety of valuable skills. Yes. like mm-hmm. on horseback and with swords. Swords play. <laughs> I was about to say, and they have good. Mm-hmm. Um, like they support each other, yeah, which is very sure. important. And then she also is getting to know some of the Raqqa people who are in Mequin's household who have been brought with them to their town that they own or whatever, their land. Yeah, and she Ollie realizes that there's something going on with the Raqqa. Like they're they're organizing or they are Mm -hmm. already organized. Mm -hmm. And she, she realizes this kind of slowly, um, not all at once. Like I, I think this book does a really good job of like laying Mm -hmm. out the, the central story, like with good pace. Um, and she has to pull the details out of everyone. Yeah. Because they don't want to tell her she's an outsider. She's already really weird because she is a Luaran. She's a slave. She's also like, she seems to know a lot more than she's she really should. well smoke, spoken. She's obviously educated. Yeah. Like she has a lot of so skills. nobody trusts her, right. even though she is the god's messenger. Right. So they have to have her around. They're mm-hmm. not going to kick her out because like, but the Raka also know that it's Kiprioth. Um, not initially. Not not yet. But yeah. so first, um, she finds out about the prophecy like by doing this kind of sleuthing and getting bits of pieces of information. Um, there's a prophecy announcing the return of a half, half Raqqa queen to the throne of the Copper Isles. Um, and so then she's kind of like, okay, so the Kiprioth obviously cares about that. And it's, it's probably one of these kids, um, the older ones, because the two older children are half Raqqa. Um, and when they get there, uh, crows start helping her. <laughs> I was so excited when Q Madeline's level of interest whole bunch of spiking up to a rolled up, including uh, so she she can like talk to them. They are like envoys of Kiprioth, like they're tied to the god, so they're like helping her accomplish their mutual goal. Um, and then they also have a separate bargain with Kiprioth. Uh, so one of these crows is named Nawat, and he just um, turns into a human. Because that's an option. Casual. <laughs> MBD. Yeah, I love like the special powers that unique animals have in uh, Tamara Pierce's worlds. Like it's yeah. it's really fun. Um, because he's curious, uh, like what it would be like to be a man instead of a crow. Um, so yeah, he is he's a a human now, and he's <laughs> like becomes Ollie's friend really quickly. Mm. Um. And he does a lot of crow things still, which we'll, we'll talk more about this later. But he's around. I love him. <laughs> so does everyone else. <laughs> he's got the hot mystery of a crow yep. man. Yeah, everyone what is really in him. <laughs> uh, makes sense to me, honestly. So, <laughs> I mean, like, you know. Madeline's proclivities are <laughs> out I'm, at crow men. Only, only humans. But <laughs> if you, you know, if you ask people, like, what's your spirit animal? And if they're genuinely, like, a crow person, like, in my opinion, they probably have, uh, I don't know. They're hot. 
And by what's your spirit animal? I feel like I try to move away from saying that phrase because of its um, oh, problematic I, associations. But I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, just like what animal are you aligned what, yeah, with? What like, animal are you? What animal do you feel what, connected with? What's your soul with? creature? What do you have like a similar energy mm-hmm. as or like what, you know, do you relate to as yeah. an animal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say what's your Patronus, but I also kind I of know. hate that. <laughs> Why is it so difficult to say something that isn't associated with someone or something offensive? offensive. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, good, good catch. Uh, so now it is around, and then Prince Bronow shows up, who I hate. <laughs> I hated him from the very beginning. Um, we did now what love Bronow. <laughs> It's simple here at Dragon Babies. Um, So Prince Bronow is also out of favor with the king and he rolls up. He's old friends with um, the Balitung. With Mequin. Yeah, with Mequin and Winamine. And yeah, like Grace said, we find out that he used to court Winamine. Um, and, uh, he's, yeah, he's riding around, he's flirting a lot with Sarai, um, and, uh, being racist, <laughs> like, even yeah, though Sarai is half Rakha, <laughs> yeah. he's constantly making, insulting her people, yeah, racist remarks about, like, really, like, pretty open ones that I just want to be like, dude, did you, do you notice <laughs> who you're talking to, like, He's not very connected. No, he's dumb. He's not smart. Uh, He thinks he is, but he's not. During this time, Ollie um, becomes closer with the Raqqa conspirators who are, like, in on the prophecy. They know about it. They think that Sarai is connected to it. Sarai and Dove are both connected to it. Yeah, the cook slash um, kind of, like, runner of the household. Chenaul tries to kill Ollie. Because she's just like pushing too far and everyone's like, okay, we've had enough of this. Yeah. This plan and this revolution has been, you know, quietly in process mm-hmm. for so many years. We're finally getting close to being able to do it. Like, who are off. you and what are you doing? Um, <laughs> and then Kiprioth intervenes and is like, you, she's helping me. So you all have to help her. Yes. Daddy says. Yeah, and then exactly. everyone slowly comes around. Ulysim, who is... He's not officially the head of the guard, but he is He's the commander of the, at least of the Raqqa servants and soldiers. Yeah. And then there's like also a Luaran head, but he's with Prince Brono there on. Anyway, I'm sorry. There's so many characters in this book in yeah. case you couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ulysim, Chenaul, Lakai, and Fezgau. Um, she earns their gradual respect and they begin working together to achieve this common goal. Yes. Um, and then Junai is also on deck. Um, Ulysses' daughter. Yeah, who becomes like a goat herd with Ollie. That's like their disguise for a while, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but something else Ollie is looking into is she doesn't understand why there isn't a mage around to be like the household mage and be protection and healing. Um, and at first she gets a lot of like, there's no mage, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Which, due to her spy training, she knows there's she one knows around. There's a if, well, and her sight too. She can I see think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they at first they just tell her like, no, it's not going to work. Um, Ochibu, Ochibu is the mage, uh, and uh, they go to get Ochibu after um, there's an attempted assassination, um, but she's stopped by Sarai who. Uh, kills her before she can kill Mequim. The assassin. Yeah, the assassin. Um, and so at that point, Ollie has more um, sway to tell the Rakha, like, come on, we got to get the mage in here. And she first saw the assassination because she saw the assassins come in on a caravan yeah. and figured out just from her spy tricks, spy, right. spy, spy, mm-hmm. that they were trained assassins. Yeah, so um, she, so she mobilized the entire household yeah. and prevented the family from being killed. Right. So she's also showing like her ability and her value to them, which makes them trust her more Um, or at least want to work with her more. Uh, And we do learn that they were royal, royally sent. Yes. Yeah. Or at Mm -hmm. least connected to the crown in some way. I think so. It's like a knife with a label on it or something like that. Like during all of this time, Kiprigoth is still taking Ollie around, Ollie around to see stuff. Um, oh, they they do go get the mage. They mm-hmm. they get attacked by these like little tiny flying horses. The little horses don't like Nawat because he ate some of them when he was a crow. <laughs> um, so they they like attack Nawat and Ollie, and uh, they have to like jump in a river. Um, and they eventually they're able to convince the mage who like comes out and yells at them while they're being attacked by the tiny horses. They're called the Kudarungs. Kudarungs. Okay. Um, and yeah, so they, they convince Ochibu to get on deck with the help of Kiprioth and like the prophecy and stuff, you know, all of these people have the same goal. So even if they don't trust or even like each other, like they, they all can band together. Like I said, Kiprioth is taking Ollie around to see, like, important stuff. She's to see her family, see your mom, find out that she's gone and get real mad at her dad for not telling her. Um, and then he takes her to the palace where she sees um, King Oron die. So he was the original, like, Stalin. Of old age. Yeah, yeah. Stalin-esque type um, deal with his purges. Um, and uh, so... Ollie tells that to the Bali tongues and they're like, okay, well that's, that's happening. Hopefully like Hazarin stays King because he's like kind of our best bet in all of this. Cause he's an ally. Yeah. And so, uh, uh that's, I think Bronau leaves when that happens. Cause he's yes. like, great. Hazarin loves me. Yeah. Like he'll forgive me and I'm not out of favor anymore. And he had just proposed marriage to Sarai. Mm-hmm. Um, but then plays the like, oh, but if I go do this first, it'll be even better and then we'll get married. Yeah. Bye. And it's and then Sarai finds out that he's been sleeping with one of the maids like every night. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since he got there. And it's just like that that pretty much yeah. kicks her crutch her crush in the booty. And um, Dove calls him an old man. Yes. And yeah. says he's mm-hmm. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which like yeah, he is. Um <laughs> So uh, then Hazarin dies. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, of natural causes, yeah. there is actually no assassination of a yeah. king in this book where everyone's obsessed with the assassination of the king. It's right. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Hazarin was like a really unhealthy person. And after he dies, Ollie's like spirit projection is still there. So she talks to his ghost and his ghost's like, yay, now I don't have to deal with this anymore. <laughs> worrying about getting killed. Right. Or not being yeah. assassinated. Exactly. Um, so... And then she also sees like some other stuff there. Um, yeah, she's she is shown the next day immediately after Brono going to the child who is now king, right? Um, because mm-hmm. the royal line only passes through the men, as in so many patriarchal societies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like a three year old is king now, yeah. the son of um, Rubanian and Imogen. Yeah, and he. Uh, um, Bronau incredibly ham-fistedly like attempts. Super desperate and sweaty. Yeah, it was like as soon as it started happening, I yeah. was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> he's, he's not doing a good job at this. No. Um, like he just goes alone through a secret doorway into the young king's uh, room and is like, let's go on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Come away with me yeah. now. The, the little kid starts screaming and crying. So and then he vomits on him. Oh yeah, yeah. That's how I we're really about gets that. away by vomiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep um, in mind, folks. <sighs> so, Bruno's in trouble. Um, Imogen and uh, her husband know like about what happened, and uh, Ollie wakes from her like really long slumber because she's been a spirit projection, seeing all this, and she immediately runs to the Bali tongues, and she's like. Bad, 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 not good. And they all realize that Bronau is definitely headed for them as well because mm-hmm. he's their friend and uh, like he knows he's in a lot of trouble, can't go back to um, the uh, royal palace. Um, and uh, before Bronau shows up, they get um, a letter, a message from Rubinian, who is the, the steward of the king, Imogen's husband, uh, says that if Bronau should try to seek refuge with them, then it, they gotta make sure he goes to the capital back and like we'll protect stands him. trial. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know that they have to do that, and they also are like down to because they're like, well, he did a, a bad thing, yeah, yeah, and like we don't want to deal with this, especially because. Um, Mequin is so close in line for the throne. Yeah. Uh, so Bronau shows up um, and he uh, is very like sweet and uh, seemingly, uh, you know, bending to their will and being convinced and everything. Um, and I didn't buy it for a second. He brings a bunch of new men with yeah. him who they've never met before and kind of seem like they're there to kill people. Mm-hmm. So that's not a good sign. Yeah. And um, Mequin even says, like, I'll go with you. Yeah. I'll go with you to the Capitol and, like, we can deal with this together. Um, and uh, instead, <laughs> um, in the middle of the night, luckily, Ollie is. Uh, in the room yeah. with um, Mequin and Winamine um, at night, and she just in time sounds the alarm, and uh, she, she throws her body against the door, and then Bronau forces it open and like squishes her against the wall, and it comes in, and he's like, "I'm gonna 
marry Sarai and you're going to be king and then I'm going to be king after you or, you know, like it's, it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he just wanted to be king. I can't remember this part. He says you're going to accept the kingship. Um, I'm going to marry Sarai. She'll be a crown princess. He doesn't mm-hmm. really like it's not well thought out. Yeah. He just wants to get closer with his sweaty little hands. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he wants to be king. Um, and uh, to have his money problems go away. Um, yeah, he has horrible debt. That's another reason he has undesirable. Yeah. Not um, that debt makes you undesirable. We all, everyone in this room right now. Oh, yeah. Has I plenty got of debt. A good bit of debt <laughs> over here. But it does seem like his debt is, uh, has been incurred irresponsibly because he's always been a super wealthy noble. So the <laughs> fact that yeah. he's really badly in debt. It's from his shoe addiction. Oh yeah, Ollie he literally says that yeah, at one point. Yeah, he he's very um yeah, he throws a lot of money at stuff like that. Ollie uh, picks herself up and does what um if you've ever played Ocarina of Time, Legends of Zelda, he, she does what the Redeads do, mm-hmm. which is she like grabs onto the back of a soldier and it's just like, eh, stabby stab. <laughs> And even like grabby grab, like she yeah. has her fingers in his nostrils yeah, yeah. and then like in his mouth. Yeah, no, she's she's fighting while he's smashing her body back against the stone walls. Yeah, because she knows yeah. that this is do or die. Like he's literally saying, "I'll kill you, Mequin, if you don't do this." Um, and she, like, only knows if if he gets a Sarai involved in this, like they're both gonna go down. Yeah. So it, it's when. Uh, Ollie has uh, bro now in her. She's she's like d- doing a headlock on him with her entire body. As <laughs> he, one does. Yeah, and he's like hitting her against the ground and fighting back really viciously. And he's a lot bigger than her. So we're like, oh, no. And Sarai has been, you know, kind of pushed away. And um, but then arrows sprout from Bronow's neck because Dove shot him two times with griffin feathers that Nawat made for her. Um, So awesome. Awesome teamwork. I love the just that chain of events. Mm-hmm. Um, because Dove is so touched when he gives her the feathers too, because they have, they're when he gives her the arrows. arrows yeah. yeah. Because the griffin feather arrows are some of the finest that you can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's so, so much RPG potential in the powers of the different I feathered know, arrows right? found in this yeah. um, So that's not the end of things because then uh, um, Ollie is all messed up. Her arm's broken and she's got cracked ribs. She's just kind of like stumbling around because Mequin has been stabbed. He's in yeah. trouble. Um And so Ollie, she gets downstairs and then she sees all of Bronow's like 30 other men coming into the hall and it it looks pretty bad. Um, But then more arrows fly and everyone turns around and Nawat is there. And he, he is with a lot of uh, very freshly human crows. (laughs) (laughs) Some feathers still clinging on half naked. naked. (laughs) They have like pitchforks and stuff. So they mop the back guys. They mob the bad guys and they make the bad guys go away. Um, and there, there was a an amount of death. Um, Mequin does die. Um, Lokesh, Lokesh dies. Um, 
But Bruno's dead, at least. Um, hooray. And then after all of this happens, Winamine uh, calls Ollie and is like, you're not a slave anymore. Now you're part of the family. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so Ollie is like, okay, I'll stay with the family and we'll get um, a half Raqqa queen on the throne. Um, Let's do this. And then a mysterious man shows up who's there to... Speaking very roughly. Yeah, what are you saying, boss? <laughs> Not what he talks like. <laughs> Which it was, though. <laughs> See, it's me, George Cooper. <laughs> and he's... Pretty- I'm a spy. <laughs> Announcing that he's a spy, yes. <laughs> and he pretends to be a, a slave buyer looking mm-hmm. for Ollie. But when Amin immediately realizes that he's Ollie's father. Yeah, she's uh, like, first of all, nobody <laughs> would come looking for her. No one wanted to buy her. Um, and uh, so uh, she calls for Ollie and Sarai like runs in and be like, you can't sell Ollie, she's free. Mm-hmm. And then Ollie is like, oh my God. And there's a very touching uh, like hug and then everyone leaves so that they can talk. Um, and then uh, Kiprioth appears as well. So like the three of them yeah. have because some conversation. George is sworn to him as the master of, once the master of the thieves. Right, right. spy master. So George just starts yelling at him <laughs> because he's really pissed. It's like, I always hate you. Yeah. <laughs> you ruin everything. And that he's got his daughter involved yeah. in this. And he's like, you owe me. So I want my favor now. Let me take Ollie home. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kiprioth says, okay. And then Ollie says, no, I'm not going. I can't. Because <laughs> she has to stay and see this I'm out. in this. Yeah, Achievement is like, well, Nawat would go with me. Because Nawat made it clear to her, like, you know, I'll, I'll just come with you. It's fun being a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he, like, is very clearly, like, in love with her. Um, so he's not going to leave her. And her father is like, gosh, darn it. This is what happens when me and your mom were like, you have to find your place in the world. Like, you found it, and it's the last thing we wanted you to do. And also, how did Alana and George not expect at least one of their children to be, like, pretty headstrong and really need to get out there and, And strike their own path? Spark a revolution. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's where the book ends, with the, you know, portentous, like... Ollie being like, this is what I'm here to do. Um, And then there's like a lovely little scene at the end where she watches one of the winged horses Mm -hmm. swooping around. Um, And yeah. Which is part of the prophecy too. Cliffhanger. Right, right. Foreshadowing. Okay, so summary complete. Hooray. Let's get into old and new impressions. Indeed. I can go first. I didn't read this book. (laughs) When we were little. Um, I, so I recently read the fourth Protector of the Small, mm. which I had never read before. Mm. And I thought that the stuff with Dane and her baby was going to happen in that one. But she actually, there wasn't that much. So no. I was confused because I was like, Grace told me that she has like a wild magic baby. Mm. And it's like 
a really intense thing yeah. to, to deal with. Um, so I was really excited to see that in this book mm-hmm. because I love um, Dana Numeir, always have. Um, so I was happy to see them like around the periphery of this book and or mentioned or like they have and we get to and see stuff. their baby's naming. Yes, yeah. When with uh, Dane's parents. Oh my god! Oh right, it's I her parents who come so and they're like, cut it out <laughs> to the baby. Yeah, yeah. I also like that Dane's mom says, pick a shape and sex, and then you just have to have it for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. After that, you can you explore. do whatever the heck you want, but mm-hmm. like you have to, you know, try being in a solid state for a little bit (laughs) so that things aren't quite so chaotic. Yeah. Um, So that was really exciting. I liked Ollie a lot um, as a protagonist. I, like, you know, always in uh, Tamara Pierce's books, I appreciate the main protagonist. She she always writes them really well. Um, But Ollie in particular, she's just so practical mm-hmm. and pragmatic and so uh, um she, she's a thinker she's a planner like she goes right into dissecting different situations and like pulling together all the clues and everything and b- because i th- i was worried it was going to be a really different type of book when she immediately gets captured by slavers i was like oh this is going to be grim mm-hmm. but even though she's in a, a horrible situation her her thoughts are actually pretty positive from the get-go mm-hmm. she's just immediately like okay how am i going to do this how, how am i going to get the best possible outcome with the chips <laughs> that I have right now. Yeah, I do relate to her in that her coping mechanism and management of trauma is planning, yeah. which is exactly how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. I'm, for I'm really... For better and for worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm usually a very... turn it off. Yeah, a fastidious person. Like, I'm pretty obsessive about, like, planning and, and making everything right, both, like, with my organizing in physical space and in mind space. Um, except for then I completely avoid things that are too triggering for me to handle. So that kind of throws a massive wrench (laughs) into all of that. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting better. I, after having like a really bad, um, mental health breakdown basically last year, I've like, able to do the things that I need to do on a functioning basis now. Like I can drive phone calls and do all of that stuff that I like seriously lost ability to do for months. So the lesson there is don't wait until you get to that point to, to have like a serious, you know, I had been doing mental health stuff like medical care. It wasn't very good at the time, but as much as you can with the resources you have, just go go see a doctor. Um, yeah. Everyone's so stressed out now all the time yeah. in a way that like none of us have ever really dealt with before. Um, so if you're already inclined to have something, like it's probably going to get brought out by this gigantic mess. So strongly encourage you to see a doctor. Anyways, I uh, liked Ollie's resilience a lot mm-hmm. to kind of bring that full circle. I related mm-hmm. to that a lot, even though... Like a lot of folks, I have a hard time recognizing and accepting that I can be really resilient. But if you are, you know, still around doing the best you can, that is resilience. Um, So for me, that was a really cool lesson that I took from this book, um, kind of running as a current under everything. Um, 
switching, <laughs> pivoting from that very positive thinking yes. to like some, some issues that like we, we can kind of dissect here yeah. more in a minute, um, is uh, Tamara Pierce throughout her books, she uh, does varying levels of good job with explorations of racism and like slavery mm-hmm. and, uh, servitude, bondage, colonialism, colonialism. Yeah. Um, and in this one, like some things were done well, some things I, I couldn't quite even dissect in my own head what was wrong with certain setups or like reactions and situations or like the way the culture was written or something, but it like, sometimes it felt a little off. Like it wasn't a good enough analog to, our world's uh, racism and colonialism right. and everything. And yeah. I'm not saying that it has to be in a fantasy, but but if you start down that path yeah. Yeah. of going towards like, this is going to be an analog for mm-hmm. Earth and in particular, you know, like Western imperialism mm-hmm. and colonialism and our real world, then you have to continue to yes. do a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> you have to follow that through. And you also can't pretend that those structures don't operate the way that the ones yeah. in the real world do. Yeah. If again, if you if you do it totally separate from that, mm-hmm. then you're you're not going to be able to create real world harm with yeah. that. But if if you do have the ability to do that, then it has to be like so good. Yeah. Um and maybe maybe there's an argument that um you know, a lot of that shouldn't be done by like white people, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but, you know, there's there's a lot that can be said there. So I like we'll we'll try to be re- as responsible as possible about it. Um, but, you know, this this is a conversation. So please feel free to chime in if you have thoughts about it as well. Are you talking to me or to our listeners? Our listeners. Okay, good. But I am looking <laughs> at Grace in the eyes, so she was probably just like, oh. I, I am going to talk. This is a podcast that we do together. Right, I'm not putting all the pressure on you to be like, solve this, Grace. Why don't, why don't you tell us, uh, tell us yeah. about racism? Um, yeah, so going into my old and new impressions, um, that was my biggest takeaway from reading this as an adult uh, is the the issues with um, a few different specific things. So yeah, we'll talk about this and then I'll talk about other fun stuff related to old new impressions. But um, my biggest problem is the book's approach to slavery. Um, There is discussion in which Ollie either implies or like agrees with people saying things along the lines of, well, we're taking care of the slaves. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. like this. That made they me have really a warm uncomfortable. bed to sleep in. There's a lot of discussion of how good the Balitongs are, even though they are slave owners and so much about them being like the good Luaran. And it's like, but they're perpetuating this system too, especially because at the beginning of the book, it seems like maybe they're a lower nobility, but we learn as the book goes on that, um, Duke Mequin is like, like third, third in yeah, the they're actually as high as nobility gets. And I feel like it's underplayed <laughs> as if like, oh, they've been exiled um, and they are, they're not rich. And mm-hmm. this other stuff, and it's like, well, he has incredible power and privilege. And there's also a sort of attitude of 
so things are a mess around here, but like these Luaran just inherited this. They right. didn't make mm-hmm. it, but that's BS because they have to change it and they're not invested in changing it. And that's like they're it, not interested in re um re- redistributing the wealth, the land, the status quo, upsetting it. They don't want to. It. They don't want to. Yeah. Um, and we're like told again and again that they're good guys. And it left me very uncomfortable. And for, I think especially if, if you're American and you're reading these things and you, you are educating yourself about, you know, our own historical systemic racism, you recognize sentiments like this mm. because they're sad in our country yeah. to this day. Like, oh, it's slavery was okay because they were taking care of them. And that's, you know, you want to start attacking that sentiment. But obviously the people who, who make that argument, it's going to be tough to dissuade them from a human rights angle. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just it's just so ludicrous, so deeply racist, um, so devaluing people of color and seeing them as inhuman. Um, who, who need to be taken care of. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, so I think Tamara Pierce, we mentioned this before we started recording. I think she was aware of the difficulties of what she was going to do in this book. And mm-hmm. I think she tried to go in a good direction. Yeah. And sometimes she succeeded. The slavery is a big issue, the approach to it. Then also, it's kind of a white savior book. Oh, um, for sure. And that... Also makes me very uncomfortable. Well, I was the, the reason I say kinda is because Ollie is being guided by Kiprioth. Mm-hmm. But the way that she goes about the process, there were moments that I really didn't like, like when she's being condescending to the Raka about their revolution yeah. um, and the way that they should be structuring it. And also saying things like, well, you have to care about your oppressors. Like, don't kill white people. Yeah. It, it's, it's just really... And I get that, like, she's a spoiled 16-year-old. She's also... From an incredibly powerful and wealthy nobility. Right, yeah. And we've talked before about how Tamara Pierce's main characters all fall somewhere on the grid that I like to think of, um, where, like, along one side, it's, like, touched by a god. On another side, it's inherent magical ability. Well, another all side is with just, the king. Like, sheer willpower. Um, and then the other side is, like, their own nobility nobility, privilege, like whatever family they were born into. And we're like so far in the direction of like, she has it all when it comes to Ollie. She has all of those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like Kel, Dane, Alana are all like much further in one corner of the grid. Especially Um, when they start out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of their journeys, um, they all by the end, um, yeah, have gained a lot of status mm-hmm. and power. Yeah. Um, like I said, they're all friends with the king. Yeah. <laughs> Literally <laughs> like Personal friends. has Jonathan on their favorites in yeah. their cell phone. It's very easy <laughs> to just call him up. Um, yeah, and that's a tricky thing about this series too mm-hmm. yeah um like because she has she was born with so much privilege so much and then for her to come into this incredibly complicated situation and this is where Tamara pierce did something well because she does a good job of explaining how complex this culture and the history of the copper isles is and actually like giving 
insight and exploration into the Raqqa as a people and then specific Raqqa who are main characters in the book. Um, that I thought was done pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to see that in a, a YA fantasy book, um, yeah. which I just feel like doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Um, to have like a um, Song of Ice and Fire style approach to a culture that is not a white culture mm-hmm. um, and also really investigate the their oppression, the colonialism present in uh, their land and the fact that their land was stolen from them yeah. and they've been enslaved. Yeah. Um, but I wish that the main character had been um, Raka or yeah. Raka Luaran, the way that Sarai and Dove are, which would make sense. And I like, w- at the but v- I get why it's Ollie because she's Alana and George's daughter, right? And like, of course, you want to go back to those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Um, well, at at the very beginning of the book, when I read the prophecy that starts it out, and I was, and then I like, I went back and listened to the beginning of the book like three times to try to like understand the mm-hmm. what, the political situation that they're yeah, presenting. I, I could not do the audiobook for the first like quarter. I, I re-listened of the book. to a lot of stuff. I was driving to Portland listening oh, yeah. to it. Uh-huh. My car does not have air conditioning. <laughs> it should, but it doesn't work. <laughs> should but it's it's not there (laughs) we were in a heat wave i was in stop and go traffic on the highway the little thermometer inside the car said it was 98 degrees i was literally like slapping myself in the face (laughs) i i just stay alive i just took a heat wave training with my current employer and that is well past the point at which you can become heat exhausted grace i know (laughs) i know um and I was listening to this book and I was just like, oh my God, what is happening? Is yeah. it is my brain on fire? Literally. Yeah, or, no, the beginning is tough. Or is this difficult to follow? Well, and also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that all of the protagonists so far have been native Tortolans, mm-hmm. including this book, but the it's just a mm-hmm. very different lens. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lens in which Mithros and the Great Goddess are actually like kind of bad guys like right. in, imperialists who uh, like are have right. helped the Luaran yeah. steal this land from the Raqqa and we get a little specific investigation into that too mm-hmm. because when they show up and they're talking to Kiprioth they and then they're talking to um oh no I'm thinking of him talking to Ochibu is that how you pronounce her name Ochibu yeah um and saying and her being furious with him and saying why didn't you prevent this from happening in the first place the the entire oppression of her people Mm -hmm. um and Mithros and the great goddess the great mother um are also shown to want to keep things the way that they are Mm -hmm. they They show up but they reprimand Kiprioth For, like, trying to rise above his assigned station. Yeah. It feels gross. If you take even a moment and look at it closely, you're like, whoa, boy. Yikes. No. No. And so I don't 
hate the way that the book does that because mm-hmm. it did at least for right, me it helped me it, be like oh all, yeah right. they're mm-hmm. bad and the book yeah. is is making that point yeah um so that's a very different um portrayal of the yeah. the god and goddess yeah. it, like before they've always been kind of like these holy like blessed savior types right. <laughs> totally. um but in when i first read the prophecy and i was like oh no is the foretold royal gonna be a white person from like across the ocean <laughs> like that's not good I know but it, it, so at least it wasn't that mm-hmm. and yeah I, I would have preferred that it were someone rock mm-hmm. um but yeah I was happy when I was like oh okay I got it she's she's gonna be like an advisor to right uh, um the, the actual ruler who is going to right. be a, a connected to her people right and even in the rebellion um within like the structure of that because the yeah i feel like ollie has moments where she's being like i said really condescending and like Mm -hmm. didn't you think about this and it's like they've spent their whole lives working on this you came here for a summer trip basically Mm -hmm. i mean yeah and i in particular but but wait let me just finish what i was gonna say but Within that, she isn't really a like an active member of the rebellion. She's like a, a helper. Exactly. She's an advisor. Yeah, like you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which also she's their feels thief. a little bit better, but she's also still just a smacks of white savior. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me a little bit when she said to the Raka, like, well, yeah, you have to, like, you're not going to... Um, like you have to be better than the white people. Like you, yeah. like why? Why would you commit violence yeah. against them? It reminded me of uh, some rhetoric around mm-hmm. apartheid in South mm-hmm. Africa mm-hmm. because uh, um, the black population mm-hmm. was always much more castigated and punished yeah. for um, violence and resistance yeah. than the white population ever was for all the oppression and the apartheid. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I mean, it, it reminds me of so many things that have happened in very recent years. It makes me think of the insurrection. Um, oh yeah. Like it, yeah. it's it's that. Yeah. It's disturbing to see that argument being used by by our protagonist. Um, but the, the but she's also flawed. But exactly. She, but yeah, Ollie is also an interesting character that I do. Um, yeah, want to get into also. Is there anything else we want to um, touch on here? Well, oh, I, I, there were two other bad moments that I did want to like explicitly mention. Um, Ollie does uh, brown face. Oh yeah, it was um, like oi, yeah, <laughs> oi, 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 oi. that wasn't good. But I also appreciated that she almost gets killed, and the people catch her like, "You think we're idiots, right? Like you think you, you think put you can paint just, like, on your put face on and walk through our that we're town? gonna be like, oh yeah, she's one of us." <laughs> like just someone I've never seen before who's also clearly like, white. Do 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 do. Yeah, you're right. I did appreciate that she immediately gets caught and they just yell at her. <laughs> yeah. So I liked that yeah. reaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other bad thing is that Ollie remains a slave by choice. Yeah. Um, and treats it as like, well, this is a good disguise for me. Um, and I, I get it on the one hand, like narratively plot wise. Um, but you have to like think about 
the ramifications of the choices that you're making with your characters. Yeah. And those are, again, I will say, bad. Um, yeah. And then I, I will just say a couple more things here. Sorry. <laughs> this, we want to be responsible about this. Yeah. And also, <laughs> yeah, this, I think this is a pretty polarizing book. The people, the people on Goodreads, you know, <laughs> you know how I feel about them, <laughs> are um, not happy with it. And I get why. You know, I, as we're saying, we're generally a pretty positive podcast. And, and I genuinely I really, did really this enjoy book. this book as yes. an adult and as a young person. Um, but we have to dissect this stuff. It, yeah. Um, Otherwise, because, it's irresponsible to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the only that's the only way we can engage with it. Yeah. And I think the thing that feels insidious to me, too, is that I really didn't pick up on this very well when I was young and read it. Yeah. No, I um, never picked up on stuff like this when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, other than, you know, like a vague queasiness, but not being able to pick that apart and get at the root of it. Right, yeah, because we're all being told in the 90s that, like, racism was over. I don't see race. Oh, my God. That So, like, <laughs> raised in that, like, yeah. It's been a wild um, 33 years on this planet. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of retroactive education. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Um the, One, you said there were a couple other things. It bothered me when Winamine freed her and was like, you're part of our family now. Because yeah. I had been telling myself, like, okay, part of the reason they can't free their slaves yeah. is because they are um, like a household. Mm-hmm. And if they if they let all of their slaves, you know, this isn't a great reason, but I was trying to relash- rationalize it because they're being presented as such good yeah. people. Yeah. Um, that then everything would collapse and like every everything would be screwed because it's like a finely well-oiled system. And so to see her just casually let mm-hmm. someone go mm-hmm. was more like, so maybe you could free all your slaves. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Why is it that the first one who's being freed is the only white one? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and then when Mequin started like disrespecting her and telling her that like she was rising above her station, like I... I don't know if Ollie took from that, like, oh, I probably have some of those thoughts in my mm-hmm. own noggin yeah. as one of the very privileged. But I also recognize when he started saying, like, really clearly bad stuff, like, yeah. that the book was presenting it, I was like, oh, he's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to kill him off <laughs> <laughs> because they're giving him, like, the most overt, like, right. badness right. Um, in this. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say is just, yeah, I I appreciate the chance to um, break down this stuff because in that there is a lot of good um, organization of my own thoughts that mm-hmm. takes place to uh, like help me understand what is good and what is not good here. Yeah. A lot of her other series do better. Yeah. She um, does varying levels of good job yeah. with the, these kinds of themes. And I've definitely seen mm. her do better. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Immortals series does much better. And yeah. Dane also isn't white. Um, she's more like of the oppressed. And like she, yeah, her story she's, starts she's with the character that comes trauma. And comes from the lowest level of privilege. I mean, she's commoner. Her, her dad is a god. <laughs> but, but she's raised by a single mom and yep. she doesn't get access to that the mm-hmm. positives of having a father who's god until she's like 15 and like you can have a god dad and things can be real bad ask yeah. zeus's millions of children oh yeah um <laughs> <That's very true. laughs> uh yeah but it's, but that's that's another piece too that like 
we've hinted at this already, but I just want to explicitly say Ollie is our most privileged protagonist in a Tamara Pierce book. And she's the one who is handling this rebellion, this, um, this investigation of the racist structures in their world and ours and every one, every world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she is the figure that we're seeing it through is a problem. Yeah. So the other pieces of old new impressions that <laughs> we'll move on from this segment uh, reading this book is a little rereading it is a little sad for me because this was my exit from uh, Tamara Pierce until we started this podcast. Oh, okay. um, this for me, was, it was Protector of the Small. Yeah, this was her last book that I read. It came out, um, yeah, when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Um, so I really just aged out mm-hmm. and was, uh, well, on the one hand, I stopped reading so much because I like had finally figured out how to socialize with people. Um, I just switched to video games. (laughs) (laughs) Video games and manga. (laughs) But yeah, you you did a lot earlier than I did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, on the one hand, like I was starting to actually gain some confidence Mm -hmm. for the first time. Like I started doing theater um, and yeah, things that took up more of my time and also was just naturally turning toward like books that, you know, other teens were reading as opposed to like continuing on in my fantasy exploration and love. Um, but it's, you know, it also makes me sad. <laughs> like it's a bummer to think about. And Tamara Pierce was one of the main reasons that I wanted to start this podcast because I got you know, I had one of those like memory unlocked moments um, where I was looking at my old Alana books because my mom had just moved and I was going through um, some of her stuff. Sorry, our mom. (laughs) Your mom, huh, Grace? I think it's really funny when we're doing the pod and one of us says like, my brother, my my mom. It's like, um, excuse me. (laughs) Looking at you in the eyes. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, these made me like I am who I am because of these. And now I I've gone, you know, at that point I had gone like 15 years without really thinking about them or mm-hmm. Tammy or any of these other really important books. Tammy, Tam, Tim, Tam. Um, and so I feel the melancholy of rereading this. Um, it also is her book that I uh, like engaged with the least because I think I just read it once. Um, I was, as I said, exiting. Um, and then uh, I was an adult. <laughs> just kidding. I was 15. <laughs> I, I was an adult by the time I was, you know, like 27. <laughs> Um, okay, so there is that piece. Um, and then the other piece, which I think, you know, can be a nice segue into our romantic realism segment. Jaws! <laughs> um, was being obsessed with Nawat. Um, oh my God. And going back to Goodreads, I'm sorry. People also... A lot of people really don't like their relationship. And 
it's because they're reading it very literally and saying like, this is bestiality. Like she's hooking up with a crow. Um, but there's so much discussion throughout the book of that reminded me of <laughs> Arrested Development where they're the joke about like, we have to put in a lot of subtext about how they're not actually siblings when you see them kissing. Um, <laughs> well, but Noah turns into a human and the crows right. are specifically... He doesn't like, have a crow brain. Like right. you wouldn't be able to talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and even the crows that are still crows mm-hmm. are... They have an intelligence that... You know, crows are really smart in, in reality, but they have a much more human intelligence. Well, I think... They we, have an we, entire we can't language. can't even, like, call them crows. Right. They're fantasy beings. They're, like, godlings, kind of, yeah. too. They're, like, very special to the... And now I... The thing that I thought you were going to say is because at first I was like, oh, but he's too young. And then it was like, no, he was an adult crow mm-hmm. when he changed into an adult man. Right. So... It's like yeah. he's not two years old. Like that's <laughs> not how that works. Yeah, it, I think because he's old enough as a crow to be a father. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Phrase. He's old enough <laughs> as a crow to be a father. He can have his own hatchlings to to mob others. Oh he's an adult God. crow. Just, yeah, the, the discussion around Noah is so funny to me. Um, and I, yeah, people either love him or are really grossed out by their relationship. And I was going to say... And we fall in the love <laughs> So if you're grossed out, I'm sorry. Turn elsewhere. Yeah, find just go find another podcast. <laughs> just go away, is what Grace says. Stop listening. <laughs> um, if I, with, with the age thing, my rebuttal is going to be like, there's definitely less of an age gap than there was with Numer and Dane. And I loved Numer and Dane. With Numer and Dane, with Alana and George. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's actually like the most age-appropriate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> because as as we've established just now, now it was a, uh, a full-grown crow, fully yeah. able to consent. <laughs> Okay. Oh my That's God. That's where I'm going to leave that. Um, yeah. And I actually thought that, like, Tamara did a good job of keeping in enough details to be like, yeah, he was a crow, kind of. <laughs> um, like him with his grubs. <laughs> All the women are in love with him. But then Soraya's like, um, he eats bugs. Like, I've seen him shoveling bugs into his mouth. I just like this is the kind of character that I want in like every video game. God, I like know. you enter this town and like this strapping young man is sitting and like making arrows, being very like sensual with his hands, and then he just like leans down and <laughs> sucks some bugs off the ground. <laughs> Someone walks past and is like, "Yeah, he was a crow, kind of. I don't know. It's normal for him. That's no what." <laughs> Like, yeah. I love it. I, it's just, it's it's like, it's very funny. It's very, like, quirky, but not in an obnoxious, quirky way. Um, it's, and, it's a great character. Well, the, literally the reason I bring up consent is because it would have made me uncomfortable if the, uh, like, romantic interest that they expressed were mm-hmm. flipped. Mm-hmm. But Nawat, like, very clearly of his own autonomy and, like adult perspective Mm -hmm. falls in love Mm -hmm. with Ollie. Um, He does surprise kiss her at one point. Trademark Bechtel cast. (laughs) He does (laughs) surprise. 
surprise kisser yet. Um, it's, you know, because we're in... But he's largely respectful. Right, yeah. And because we're in Ollie's head, mm-hmm. like, we know how she feels about it. But, right. yeah, he didn't explicitly, like, confirm with her that that was okay. So just put that out there. <laughs> but, yeah, generally, he is super respectful. Yeah. I actually love how... Um, Although I a lot of talk about them having babies. <laughs> he's a crow. He's a crow. But Madeline, <laughs> he is really a crow that there is a problem. <laughs> he grew up as a crow. <laughs> or just like, yeah, I guess we, I wish there was another word for what he is. Like, they're discussed as crows in this series. Well, and they say. But they're not really our crows. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and he says, like, to them, crow means, like, a magical creature. Right. That's why he said whether a crow right. looks like a crow or looks like a human, they're always a crow. And there's a legend that the Raka and the crow humans are, like, born of the same god nest. Right, um, yeah. So they have, like, divinity. And, mm. yeah, they're, they're a very particularly established magical creature mm. in this. It reminds me of the hyenas. Basically another race, essentially. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of the hyenas from the Immortals. Yeah, but all that being said, I love Nawat. I adore Nawat. I adore his and Ollie's, like, cute... Uh, courtship, mm-hmm. especially because Ollie talks about how like she was kind of a um, a butterfly back at court because like of course she's she's sort a, of an f boy if you will. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's like who Ollie was, and mm-hmm. Nawa like melts her heart basically with with his like sweetness and earnestness. Yeah. Um, so I I liked that yeah. kind of angle between them. I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I Ollie's like approach to um, sex and romance is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like there's a little moralizing in the book about how it's like not good for her or others to um, just like kiss people for fun, which felt really different from Tamara Pierce's other books, which are like super sex positive. That's um, true. I wonder if that has to do with a more noble sensibility mm. that yeah that makes sense because in uh, yeah you know in a lot of nobility depictions and in real life it's like you're if you're a woman mm-hmm. then your quote-unquote purity mm-hmm. is like an incredibly valuable yeah. thing and you can't go kissing people because then you might lose it um so i feel like it's also i don't know there there's kind of that that toxic um, mm. depiction of masculinity as well, yeah. saying like you have to protect yourself from men. If they kiss you, they right. they will lose control, <laughs> which is not what we want to be teaching girls or boys or any humans. And no one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I also think it's part of her characterization. Like that helps to illustrate that she is like a spoiled 16-year-old who doesn't mm-hmm. really like care about things mm-hmm. um, or yeah. understand sort of a jaded blessed teen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Reminds me of some people I went to college with. Yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, and myself to some extent as well. Mm-hmm. I should, you know, throw stones without smashing my own glass wall. <laughs> Although I certainly wasn't kissing anyone at 16. Um, (laughs) 
Not for many years. For me. <laughs> for many moons. <laughs> many moons. Um, but, but yeah. Okay. So we enjoy their relationship. Um, I actually want to, I was thinking about trying to draw now what, or maybe Nawat and Ollie. Probably just Nawat, actually. <laughs> you should Google Nawat. Oh my God. Art, I bet there's incredible I have, fan art of that was, sexy crow man. <laughs> I was telling Josiah about this book, and he was like, Is there a picture of the crow? <laughs> I don't know why. He's like, Well, I have to see if he's hot for myself. Yeah, sure. Josiah, famously good judger of uh, physical attractiveness. He's got a little bit of face blindness. <laughs> yeah, we're joking because he for sure yeah. has a measure of face blindness. Yeah. Um, but there's some very cute pictures of the two of them. Yeah, uh, yeah very nice. Yeah. We'll put some up on our website, dragbabiespodcast.com. <laughs> so let that be the carrot to get you to our website. <laughs> Okay, and then the other romantic relationship we talked about a bit in our summary, so we'll just touch on it briefly. Um, but it is Sarai and Bronow. <laughs> Talk about age inappropriateness. <laughs> because um, Bronow dated her stepmom. Yeah, not great. Uh, not great, Bob. Also, I mean, he's like a ridiculous villain. Yeah, he, like um, mustache twirling, <laughs> like, nah. <laughs> From the very beginning when he shows up. Truly, like, <laughs> leaping around a wall saying, I will romance her in the garden, and then I'll steal her fortune and take her birthright. And I will be king. <laughs> um, but, I mean, and we would just, but there are pieces of Bronow that do feel, um, yeah, like, well-written and insidious. Uh, it's very fitting that he's the Duke's really close friend, and you can see even him grappling with as the book goes on. Um, I thought it was a very interesting moment when Mequin is saying to him, like, I never want to be king, because Bronow is, like, trying to bring it up and be like, hey, what about this? Maybe you should do this. Yeah. And Bronow seems genuinely sorry and is like, I wish I could be like you. Mm -hmm. Instead, I've been driven mad by yeah. this need. Yeah, especially once he tries to kidnap the little baby king. It was oh like, God. okay, that was such a harebrained sh scheme yeah. that like all he's he's just flailing Tru wildly at this point. Flailing. Like, yeah. Yep, so even flailing. when he showed up and was being all nice, I was like, no, he's definitely gonna like steal some a child in the middle of the night. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> he is broken. Yeah. Um yeah, and we as the readers have the extra insight from uh, Ollie being shown scenes at the castle, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really fun. Another piece that I wanted to discuss is getting to see Alana and George specifically seeing them as parents, yeah. um, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Um, because it makes sense that Alana would not be a good mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It totally makes sense. I always thought it was kind of weird that she has kids. Um, right. She does not... I can't even really picture like her pregnant. That would be fulfilling for her yeah and it doesn't seem like it would be good for the kids but george is clearly a great parent yeah and that also makes sense like yeah. and i love that um we get to see this although you know i worry <laughs> about i worry for alana and also for her children um we've you know discussed this before but alana is my personal favorite um pierce protagonist uh and it is 
she could never not be like parent to and married to her job. Like, yeah. It's, it's hard to even call it a job because it's her life's mission. She's the king's champion. Um, and that's really always going to take precedence, like even when she doesn't want it to. Like she fights against that, but that's just, that's who she is. Yeah. That's who she's really always been, even before she technically was the king's champion. Like she you know, devoted herself to becoming a knight and overcame so much in order to do so and, you know, engaged in this really significant subterfuge to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's who she is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's not going to be a great mom. Um, her conversations with Ollie felt very true to life as well. Yeah. <laughs> felt very familiar. <laughs> In terms of, you know, just two people who really aren't communicating well. Yeah. And the way that Ollie is trying to go into these conversations saying, like, it's going to be better this time. It's going to be different. And then it becomes a huge fight. Doesn't go well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the other piece, we mentioned this in the summary, but George so clearly wants Ollie to be a spy on some level mm. because he's, he's taught her her whole life. He's taught her all this everything. intel and uh, mentioning Goodreads for a third time. Oh my God. But <laughs> they're going to find us and dox us. Great. <laughs> <laughs> they, the good readers. <laughs> um, I don't actually, I'm sure everyone on Goodreads is very lovely. <laughs> Actually, how fast you capitulate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm technically on there. I mean, I have a dragon. You are a good reader. (laughs) Just don't post things. (laughs) Anyway, a lot of people are calling Ollie a Mary Sue and saying like everything's perfect for her. She's never tested and she immediately knows how to be a flawless spy, even though she's never had any real world experience. Well, she, she gets sold into slavery. That doesn't seem like a, right. (laughs) That's the inciting instant of the book. Um, and there are also are a lot of moments where she does fail and gets saved by Kiprioth or by the, um, other people that he has recruited to like protect, protect her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in terms of her spy experience, I do think that the narrative does a good job of explaining why she knows how to do certain She's things, also like explicitly magic. what happened. Yeah. She also has her sight, which helps with a lot of the tasks, but then something like she knows how to perfectly put a room back together after searching it and talks about like how George would drill that into her. And like so many times when she was young, he would like go in a room and change one thing and she had to be able to put it back. And I feel like we get those details. Um, and it kind but of, it is true. She hasn't had real experience until now, but she's also been wanting to do it for so long that she is so prepared for it. Yeah. And then she gets to just like live it. Right. She's she's obviously been bored in her very privileged life that, you know, that doesn't mean she wasn't extremely privileged, mm-hmm. but used learning how to be a spy as like her her passion. Yeah. And I do. I mean, I think Ollie is a funny protagonist um, compared to Tamara Pierce's others because. Yeah. So for one thing, she doesn't really have hardship. Like Mm -hmm. there is the situation that she's in in this book, but 
even after she has been enslaved, um, it's pretty quick before Kiprioth shows up. Yeah, things get real cushy real fast. Yeah, and from that point on, she's fine. Like yeah. we we know that she's gonna be okay. Like it's pretty brutal when she's like yeah. getting her face and body macerated on yeah. the, the boat and yeah. like during the whole slave selling process. Like mm-hmm. it's um, horrible. But once she gets through that, like it. Things don't get harder again. No, <laughs> and and yeah, she is uh, spoiled, and she is um, like often kind of bratty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then we get the appealing side of her that Madeline was talking about earlier, with her um, pragmatism, her ability to um, so well think on her feet so well. Yeah, and she she's resilient. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but it, it was, it was intriguing to see a character who, like I mentioned, is, has all of the Tamara Pierce grid qualities at max level. Right. Exactly. Um, I do, I also wrapping up the Alana discussion, um, I wish that we could have seen more of them together, of Ollie and Alana together. Um, there was very little of it and, so I haven't actually read Trickster's Queen because this was my last Tamara oh, yeah. Pierce book. So I'm curious um, read to it. see if we get more of their relationship there because even in this book, they don't reunite. George and Ollie right. are the only ones who do. At the very end. Yeah, which was also kind of weird, but mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, these... It's very it, clearly part of a two-book series. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I feel like this would have been one book if it just hadn't gotten so long. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but I, it makes sense. Um and then the other piece about Alana was reading this as an adult. I felt um, like grief seeing Alana aging, seeing yeah. her older and like yeah. all the moments that Ollie is nervous about her on the battlefield and realizing for the first time that she is mortal. That and, she's fallible. Yeah, yeah. And that she could like miss a stroke um, and be pierced by a sword like that that's possible that she's, because she's also wounded at the beginning of the book and she's resilient to healing because she's been healed so much mm-hmm. like she resistant uh, resistant to healing, to healing. Mm-hmm. yeah um and yeah she she just seems a lot more mortal she seems a lot less like um you know superhero and i think you know now that i'm an adult and i have some understanding of like the actual concept of time and mortality mortality Um, (laughs) it just yeah it just feels a lot grimmer when I was young I I was kind of like irritated by seeing older what's wrong with her yeah and I was like (laughs) I don't like this like no thank you like (laughs) just gonna go back and read the ones where she's 12 (laughs) 12 forever um but now I can really appreciate it um and it does add a richness to the book i just yeah i'd love to see more of her and george they're just like two of the best characters yeah. of all time so yeah. like come on give me some more yeah it was great to see george a brief and it was just like yeah. animals yeah. in this book yeah, animals in this book. um we talked a lot about well the crows we can't call animals <laughs> As we discussed. Because then it's bestiality, (laughs) Grace. But the crow beings are amazing. We've talked about them a lot. Uh, And the Kudurungs deserve a special mention. Um, Yeah, they're they're neat. Flying horses 
are magnificent. Yeah. Um, love the physical comedy of them attacking Alana and Nawat um, and uh, them diving. Uh, Ollie. Oh, I'm sorry. Attacking Ollie and Nawad and them diving into the a water. Pond. It felt so video game. Totally. <laughs> and um, Ochibu just like laughing and laughing at them and being, They're like, being like viciously attacked. Viciously attacked. Yeah. And she's like, uh, You came here to try to recruit me to help you. No, the horses are attacking you. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, and uh, then they're also part of the prophecy. And at the very end of the book, we see a Kudurung flying by. Um, yeah. I like their significant difference in size, too. I was, like, shocked when one showed up as a messenger with a child on its back. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? I've been picturing that. that was, I also size. pictured that. Not nap, but maybe, like, hummingbird size. Oh, yeah. yeah that's because they're, character. like, actually causing some harm mm-hmm. with their attacks. Yeah. But they weren't causing the kind of harm that like a a pony sized creature could ha- cause you know like that thing could no. just trample you to death <laughs> it's great more horses of all sizes <laughs> yeah i yes, say yeah horses horses have always been uh, in so much fantasy very special like maybe as mm-hmm. a direct descendant of like a tolkienian thing probably also as a descendant of you know, cultural I, I, traditions where horses were really important. Right, exactly. I think in just the like olden days. Human mythologies across yeah, all cultures. Yeah. Like horses have always yeah, it's, it's like dogs, you know, like humans have a very particular kind of relationship mm-hmm. with certain species. Um, and I love the way that that creeps into our, you know, folk tales and fairy yeah. tales and stuff. I'll always um, recommend uh, for anyone looking for a just magnificently written horse character, the hero in the crown by yes. Robin McKinley. Yeah. Um, which truly, it has a horse who goes on an emotional journey. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, the hero in the crown is one of the it's best books I've so ever incredible. read. We have yeah. an episode on that. So check go, it out. go check it out. It's I'm, I have like a reverence for it. Like I kind of True. put it in a Lord of the Rings category. Um, and then also the immortals, uh, ever, at least for certain books, has a really sweet relationship between Dane and mm-hmm. her horse Cloud, yeah. especially because Dane has more of a um, predator spirit, mm-hmm. and Cloud has—I mean, horses are a prey animal technically—but um, they're able to like overcome that and you know relate to each other. I just think it's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, this book really has way fewer animals than other Tamara Pierce books, yeah. and there is isn't like a significant animal um, familiar, <laughs> which Besides, is like in, mean, in all the other yeah, books. Yeah, even Kel has her sparrow. Yeah, but I mean, um, it, well, this is like immortal beings, not necessarily animals, but you know, somewhere in the hierarchy. But there are storm wings. Those just foul creatures. Oh god! I mean, I love Stormwings. Me too. Like, they're so goth. Like they're just yes. so ridiculous. Yeah, like, crust goth. <laughs> I think it's really funny when someone insults um, Brono insults Emma Jane by calling her. He says like, "Oh, that human Stormwing he's married to." Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're just they're so over the top. And I love it. Yeah. And they actually should serve as a presence to dissuade violence Mm -hmm. because they are drawn to it and they are 
horrifying. Yep. <laughs> um, so you have the storm wings. Taka also briefly is, yeah. is in love Taka so mm-hmm. much. Like the way he's always described as like delicately holding the tip of his tail in, in one paw as he walks. Such a gentleman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love Taka. Um, Dana Numera's baby is an animal. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> slash immortal creature. It's like a, I love the way that Tamara Pierce explores different magics that are passed on um, genetically Mm -hmm. when like two very powerful magic users, but in very different ways procreate. And then their child has like all kinds of this stuff going on. I am really glad we are allowed to keep a distance from the pregnancy horror that is Dane carrying this baby. No, thank you. Um, No, thank you. Keep that in the margins. (laughs) Don't want to think about it. (laughs) Wash that thought away. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's some animals. Animals. Okay, this is going to be our longest episode of all time, so let's get into <laughs> pretend food. food. Um, bugs. Yum, grubs and bugs. Grubs and bugs. And kudaroon. And kudaroon. Yeah, now it eats some little kudaroon, uh, and then it's just like kind of nonplussed about like, they, they swarm me, they mob me because I ate some of their hatchlings. <laughs> oh boy. Yep. Yeah. Um, then there is, you know, a lot of really funny jokes about how Ollie has like a delicate little white palate and she can't eat the delicious food that everyone else is consuming in the Copper Isles. I totally relate. I <laughs> totally relate. My my partner is half Mexican and uh, I feel like when we first started dating, he kind of was like, oh, well, you, you she'll build up a you know tolerance for it and she'll get better. And he's uh, given up since. Oh my God. He's, he gave up so hard. It's just like, yeah. you know, here, mayonnaise, <laughs> use your mayonnaise. <laughs> Let's not talk you about it. You are particularly <laughs> like in the direction of, I mean, both preferring and then also like for health reasons, just not really being able to eat. I can eat spicy, spicy stuff. Food. Yeah. It, it really tears me up <laughs> to be unfortunately wow. frank. <laughs> Um, so it's like, yeah, it probably has to do with my incredibly white genetics. Um, I also have some, some OCD and like maybe a a very light amount of, um, spectrum and I just really don't like eating complicated foods. Mm -hmm. Like I prefer them to be simple and like I, I still like pull sandwiches apart because I want to eat the components one at a time. So I just, I can't handle very complex dishes and that's unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you've found a way that works for you Yeah, and you've gotten good at dealing with the family joke that you would just like a tub of frosting on your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And my, my partner uh, accepts me and loves me. Very important. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, she cannot eat the spicy food. No. Uh, is, yeah, just generally a mess. So she eats, like, pretty bland food most of yeah. the book because it's just, just rice. Right, yeah. Because yeah. they, are they unlike me, she doesn't have access to, like, specially prepared food. Like, right. she's a slave. She eats what they give her. Yep. Um, and everything has chilies. Yeah. Um, 
And she even even the tea is like too strong for her. She makes a comment about whether it could be used to remove varnish at one point. Which yikes. Um <laughs> Yeah, she's she has a tough time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there is uh, one scene where Dove or Sarai give Ollie their lunch one day, um, and she gets to eat like a sausage baked in dough and gets oh, really excited. Yeah, about yeah. It. yeah. Um, and um, some white bread with raisins and figs and dates in it. She's um, like, ah, white people food. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, because the, uh, yeah, the nobles have the fine uh, white flour foods. Right. Um, yeah. They go to a town with Bronau when they're taking him through their land, um, showing it off. It's um, just being a racist jerk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, but they're given a feast of herbal tea, coconut custard, sticky mm. rice, rice flour cakes, mm. cassava melon slices, and banana fritters. And that sounds so good. But Bronau's like, Ooh. <laughs> so that's gross. Of him. There's also a feast that literally kills a king because he has finally eaten himself to death. Seems kind of like he's been trying to. Yeah. Slash like relying on food as a like comfort thing emotionally, which I totally understand. And he is seems to have undergone a lot of stress in his life. So there's a lot of emotional comforting that he needed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kiprioth tells Ollie, he ate richly tonight. Venison, wine sauce, pork with a pineapple and honey gravy, buffalo coconut curry. Whoa. <laughs> Sticky coconut peanut rice with currants and almonds, five different wines from the Eastern lands. And then he says he insists on at least five coconut dishes at every meal, though healers keep telling him a lighter diet would be better. It's really a toss-up as to what kills him first, his heart or an apoplexy of the brain. <laughs> Actually, I have a wager with my cousin, the graveyard hag, about that. <laughs> yes, I love it when the graveyard hag gets an honorable mention yeah. about betting on when a king will die. <laughs> really good. Um, yeah. And then we get to see him die <laughs> shortly after. Yep. So it's, yep. it's very fun stuff. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> really fun. There's a lot of like, yeah, kind of um, ominous food, honestly. Yeah. Um, then there are, I also want to give a shout out to the candies that the new little king is gorging on. Is subsisting on. Um, yeah. Half-eaten marzipan fruits, candied violets, and raisins. And Ollie gets very like self-righteous in this weird way and is like, Kids can't eat sweets like that. No one's taking care of him. But it's because of that diet that he throws up all over Bro now, which is the only reason he gets away from him when he's trying to kidnap him. So Yeah, so they were just it's like a self-defense mechanism. It's actually planning ahead, if it's, you ask me. It's like bugs that will like vomit their intestines at a predator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Try it. Let's talk about our badass ladies. I'm going to give mine to Dove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grace is just already nodding. Um, I Dove is so dope. I, yeah, she's really cool. I was kind of hoping that she might actually be the uh, prophesied ruler. Yeah. Although Sarai, Sarai is really cool too. And like 
it has a very real like coming of age storyline mm-hmm. in this book. And I definitely She's just more of like a teenager. Um, Dove is like a lot more intense yeah. and just seems to have <laughs> like, like an older spirit in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like sharpening their knife or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and she's I really, really fun. I mean, I respect so much the way she's always like falling out of cupboards and stuff listening mm-hmm. um, because like people don't tell her stuff and she is like, I want to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so she's very deliberate about that. And I, I think I said something about this during the summary, but I really love that um, Nawat gives her um, the Griffin arrows, mm-hmm. and despite even Allie kind of being like, well, that's too expensive, a gift for a child. Yeah. Um, but she's not totally like that, but it's a little bit there. Um, and then Dove uses those arrows to kill Bronow, mm-hmm. um, the like main bad guy in this book. It's beautiful. Despite that she's a child. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Dove and Sarai actually have more like exciting on-screen kills than anyone else. I would. It's argue. true. It's true. Yeah. Um, so uh, I rate Dove an entire quiver full of Griffin arrows, Aww. and now I can just keep making her more. She'll never run out. It's a great rating because I don't think he has a hard time stealing Griffin feathers because he's you know a crow with a capital C. Yeah. <laughs> Great rating, great choice. I'm going to give mine to Chenaul, mm. um, who we haven't talked about a ton um, because she is, you know, in the periphery, making everything work throughout the whole book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she is very, uh, she's very resourceful, thoughtful, um, very loving. Um, and she's also like helping to organize the revolution. Yeah. Um, and I, I, we didn't talk much about this, but it's very like complicated. (laughs) Um, obviously we talked about the problems with the way slavery is discussed in the book, but also just the different like class issues and the way the servants are treated by the nobles, things like that. Um, when the, uh, Bali tongs are not excommunicated, but sent away. The in disfavor. Um, yes, in disfavor with the king. Um, the servants have to like make that all work for them, basically. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they are tasked with um, like figuring out how to make the family comfortable, like without adequate resources yeah. and in a totally new place. Um, and Chenel is doing all that while also helping orchestrate the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just a boss. Yeah, that's true. She's, she's very much like a key, um, behind the scenes runner of things. And the, and the one who, um, I feel like she does a great job of voicing to Ollie, like the issues with her mm. and the way that she approaches them. Yeah. And she almost kills Ollie um, because she's being too snoopy and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, Ollie for all of her spy skills truly does have moments where it's just like, okay, <laughs> relax. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Chenowal is just being like, 
we've been working on this for centuries. Like mm-hmm. you don't get to come in here and, yeah. and you know, put holes in all of our plans because yeah. you think you see a better way of doing it. Like you, you know, we're happy to have you on the team begrudgingly. Yeah. Like we are all working towards this goal and you are useful, but just chill. <laughs> Um, yeah, you uh, you come in and you're like, oh, no, this is bad. Like, we need to fix this problem where you've been oppressed. Yeah. And Chenel was like, um, yeah, so me and like my ancestors and like everyone I know and love has been living this forever. But right. OK, yeah, you clearly have a good plan. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my rating for Chenowell is more cleavers for her to hide on her person as weapons. Nice. Um, I feel a little weird that we both chose weapons as our ratings, but we're not glorifying violence. Um, There's work to be done, and sometimes you need a cleaver and a griffin arrow. Especially if you are a less powerful person because of things about the way that you are. Like, that's really important. That's right. Okay, we're finally done. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you made it to this point, you get a Dragon Babies star. It's got a little dragon on it. Hey. (laughs) Um, Thank you. You can learn more about us and our podcast at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We are on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, on Twitter at dragonbabiespod.com. So check them out. And also check out my art Instagram account where if I do draw Nawad, I will post the picture. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> now you have to do it. Yeah, I'll just put like little hearts around him with like, you know, anime eyes and stuff. And what is that handle? It is pig and doodles. So it's the word pig, the letter N, the word doodles. It's on Instagram. Hey. Hey. Um, we'll share Matt Lance Nawad drawing on her our own socials too if i do it no problem oh my god um our next book um which you know we're trying to get on a regular schedule again there's been a lot going on i know we've been saying this for months and then we stick to one episode a month but we're hoping to go back to two a month well i it's probably not rare for people to have continued to have a lot going on for yeah a while now true thank you for your pay- grace moved i started a new job like it just i've got a lot of work yeah our next book is going to be east by edith patu sorry if i'm mispronouncing that maybe i'll get better by the time we record maybe i won't <laughs> we will try as always we will continue to try our best uh thank you so much for listening and as you can tell by the length of this episode we love discussing Tamara Pierce books and reading them so yeah yeah I do sometimes play that game where it's like if I had to like give you know an off the cuff like two hour presentation about something you know what would it be oh my god I could totally do that about Tamara Pierce Lord of the Rings oh yeah Tamara Pierce Legend of Zelda Those are <laughs> our those are our franchises. Yep. Yep. Um, okay, I, I don't know. I've forgotten how to not talk, so <laughs> let's finish this now. Thank you. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Farewell, goodbye. <laughs>